It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light, light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, uh, July the 19th, and uh, Ah, once again, I have entirely too much on my plate. Um, I had planned to review a new play, but uh, it's called The Domestic Crusaders, but I'm going to move that review over to Thursday morning at 8.20. It's not actually on the boards right now. It's going to come back to the Bay Area. It's going to be in San Jose on uh, September 10 and 11. It's not next month, but the month after, September 10 and 11. And uh, let's see, 8 p.m. on the 10th and 2 p.m. on the 11th at the San Jose State University Theater. It's The Domestic Crusaders, and it's a very exciting new sh- play by uh, a an American Pakistani student, uh, I'll spell his name, W-A-J-A-H-A-T. His last name is Ali. And I'm going to review that properly on Thursday morning at 8.20. But keep watching for it because uh, it's a fascinating work in progress and it's the kind of play that we've needed for quite a long time. Uh, it is a basic American play about outsiders all plays about real Americans are about outsiders and uh, actually I even compare it to Raisin in the Sun but I'll leave that to one side until Thursday morning I've got so many things here I went through some of your letters the other night and oh folks yes uh, I do have I have four books available uh, books of my own that can be found at Cody's bookstore on Telegraph there's a movie book called Mind Over Media. And there's a, a personal memoir called Telegraph Avenue Then. And, um, yes, Stone's Throw is still available. That's a collection of essays on, um, oh, everything from film to feminism, from Gertrude Stein to Rosalind Carter. It was a collection um, of desperate as disparate essays, <laughs> not so desperate, collected over a period of ten years. Uh, in any case... If you are interested um, from your letters, I see that you're asking me what's available. Write me a letter at the station, and I will get back to you with a book list and various tapes if you're interested in that sort of thing. You can also leave me a phone message here at the station uh, on extension 630, and I will get back to you uh, next week uh, on Tuesday. I'm not sure whether I'll be here. It may be the FSM people, free speech movement people. Uh, if I'm here, I will be, 
offering a premium. Let's see, Larry Kramer's book, The Tragedy of Today's Gays. That is a very important book, which we will be reading from soon. Larry Kramer is a writer and activist. Many, 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 many years now, and his work is very important. Uh, in any case, that's up in the air. I don't know what's going to happen next Tuesday if the FSM people need this whole hour. They'll be here from 3 to 4. We are, of course, having a marathon, a fundraiser next Tuesday. And uh, so we have to have uh, people who have premiums to offer you now. Today, I really want to, I really want to jump in, uh, and talk a little bit about, uh, this, this bunch of anti-abortion crusaders coming to town, uh, gives me nightmares. I can't, I just can't deal with it. Uh, <laughs> I've been, yes, I've been trying to distract myself by watching reruns of, of Bush's brain. Anything to get away from these painful, painful problems of the women, yes. Keep, yes, I watched Bush's brain again. I think it's the third time now. Why do I do that? It's so masochistic. You know, that tangled web that is wove by Karl Rove, the brains behind George Bush. It looks like Karl Rove is tangled in his own web this time around. What is the line? Yes, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Of course, the hope is that uh, he's hoist with his own petar, as they say, as the comedian Janine Garofalo, she's on Air America, she says, they're lying about the lies that the liars told them to lie about. Nice line, yes. It was ever thus, even back in the 19th century. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw a button the other day that said, uh, don't die for a lie. I like my own 1960s button. Hell no, I won't go. Anyway, uh, uh, watching the Bush crime family twisting in the wind is fun for political junkies, those of us who enjoy the theatrical elements of history. But uh, I'm just plain scared. Uh, these days, the, the threat to women, to women's health, is immediate. Uh, uh, according to my reading here this week, the best choice for... The new judge on the Supreme Court is Judge Judy. Ah, yes, indeed. Aha. Uh-huh. Judge um, Souter, uh, David Souter, was supposed to be a conservative, you know, but he was not asked his views on abortion. This will not happen again. They're going to, um, uh, they're going to buttonhole whoever they decide upon. What I've been hearing just in the news is terrifying. Uh, I mean, if Alberto Gonzalez, you know, uh, is deemed unacceptable by the true leaders of our Christian nation, well, I mean, that's an absurdity. Um, if Gonzalez, if Alberto Gonzalez is not acceptable, well, then uh, Strom Thurmond will have to be exhumed, dug up, and sat in a chair there. I think right here, yes. The ultimate is Judge Judy. Check out, oh, here's my favorite article this week. The Judge for Me, it's called. It's in the Washington Post. You can find it on WashingtonPost.com. The Judge for Me by Richard Cohen. Right. Judge Judy. Judge Judy's legal ideology is original intent. (laughs) The guy says it's a mystery to him, but she is a pragmatist. And, uh... 
you know, she, she's just down to earth and sensible. Uh, I don't know what we're supposed to do about these things. Uh, God knows, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was not, uh, was not sensible about everything, but, uh, she was a literal conservative. And she did believe that presidents had their own claims. What bothered me about um, Sandra Day O'Connor was that she seemed to be supporting, uh, what is it, the symbolic separation of church and state. You know, they uh, can't have the Ten Commandments or in God we trust as if I cared. Uh, but she did go ahead and, and let them, you know, have the money, the uh, faith-based initiatives, that sort of thing. Uh, and I, of course, always follow the money I uh, I don't think she had that quite right, but abortion is the bottom line for most women. Uh, if that so-called freedom, <laughs> freedom is taken away, uh, women are then made outlaws. Uh, half the population outlawed. Uh, let me look here at Susan Faludi's backlash. I remember... When I first read it, I thought, well, you know, uh, this is old business, Operation Rescue. They're all madmen, and they will melt uh, into the wall. It seems that I was wrong about that. Uh, history tells us uh, that this swing is going to go all the way. I remember, try to remember the past. My mother never used the word abortion. I didn't know what it meant as a child. Uh, there was a euphemism. Perhaps that is wisest. Uh, in the old days, we called it a DNC. Um, women of privilege paid large sums to their private doctors, and poor women paid quacks, or they tried to abort themselves and each other. Uh, I remember so often, yes, a visit to the doctors, like a visit to the dentist who didn't talk about why you went. Uh, women have had abortions uh, ever since they could get pregnant. Susan Faludi writes, uh, American women have been terminating about one in three pregnancies for at least the last hundred years. Abortion was certainly not illegal when our Constitution was written. No laws at all. Nobody's business but my own. The issue today is not the so-called unborn. Uh, the issue today is women's freedom, women's sexuality. Uh, if women seize the means of reproduction, they become free men. Now, Hitler knew this when he padlocked birth control clinics, and he outlawed magazine ads for contraception because he called them pornographic. We see how that game is being played today, right? Uh, that was about the time he banned all women from the Reichstag. Making the world safe for male supremacy is what fascists do. It is curious that the women in Germany uh, today seem to be winning some of their fights for reproductive rights. Uh, <laughs> it's strange that uh, these things are happening around the world just when our own Nazi nutcases have developed a nostalgia for the whip. I always call it nostalgia for the whip because Nietzsche told us, when you go among women, remember to bring your whip. Yeah. <laughs> they don't respect you unless you dominate them. That's what I used to tell my kids. You don't respect me unless I dominate you. 
What's different today is that most women are no longer willing to pretend. We're no longer willing to use euphemisms. When I was a young woman, we simply lied. Uh, we were subversive, um, perhaps hypocrites, if you like. We thought of it as a skill, a kind of, uh, is it a craft? We said one thing and did another. Gloria Steinem tells a story about a woman picketing an abortion clinic. She takes the day off and goes into the clinic, gets her abortion, and returns to the picketing lines a few days later. Women do what we have to do. It's called surviving patriarchy. I remember my mother, she identified with Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, her, my mother's birth name was um, Dutch Kiekenveld, yes. She refused to use the, ex- she refused to use that expression, you know, maiden name. I still have to cross that off and write birth name. Anyway, Velts, you know, are a Dutch tribe. Some of them are making a last stand down in South Africa. A Velt or Veld means a field or a grassland, so I suppose the name Roosevelt might mean a bed of roses. <laughs> in spite of her uh, obvious privilege, Eleanor Roosevelt was a sort of socialist, at least uh, spiritually speaking. She was a reformer, radical feminist, and um, perhaps bisexual. Uh, uh, she was uh, hectored for that, uh, just like Hillary Clinton is being <laughs> accused, yes, of having lesbian sympathies. Uh, Eleanor had to pretend. I've been reading Blanche Wason Cook's biography of Eleanor Roosevelt again. Uh, it's all about how Mrs. Roosevelt's private life was made public. Uh, you know how it is. Um, Women are always under the microscope. It was, you remember Hillary Clinton and those cookies? One of Mrs. Roosevelt's contemporaries is quoted here. Uh, says, you could never invite her to dinner. You would never know quite who she would bring along. Blacks, Jews, sapphists in slacks, rude communist youths. It was so unsettling. Isn't it wonderful how every age seems to be, what is it, obsessed with respectability or how things look? My favorite was the notorious George Sand back in France in the middle of the 19th century when that stuffed shirt Elizabeth Barrett Browning went to visit George Sand in Paris. She wrote to a friend, she said, that she had not seen uh, George Sand smoke those little brown cigars, but uh, she she was very sorry to say she regretted that Madame Sand surrounded herself with uh, uh, so many people of the ragged red uh, or lower theatrical types. <laughs> yes, beatniks are always suspect. Um, my mother was born in 1902. Gosh, I don't know. Um, things have changed and yet remained the same. Uh, the public perception still has to be that of devoted wives and mothers. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's lover, we think, 
we we suspect was Lorena Hank- Hickok, H-I-C-K-O-K, Hickok. Um, they were close friends, uh, and after 1920, most of Mrs. Roosevelt's friends were lesbian women. Uh, my mother called these Boston marriages. Uh, there was no mention of a sexual uh, connection, and there may not have been one, you know. Uh, there was something about affection in the 19th century. Uh, it's not quite like today. Nowadays, women holding hands, we immediately jump to the assumption that they are uh, full-time lovers. It is not always the case. Uh, anyway, Eleanor Roosevelt uh, had five children, I guess, all those years of childbearing. After her husband um decided that he preferred Lucy Mercer. She sublimated her lusts in good works. She did have some crushes on some of the men around her. Uh, and, of course, uh, she became, what is that called? Uh, uh, a freedom fighter. The biographer states, Eleanor Roosevelt's vast FBI file is one of the wonders of modern history. Now, Mrs. Roosevelt wore her mask in order to work for justice and to promote the welfare of women and the other majorities, uh, but she worked within the historical context in which she found herself. She didn't really, well, she couldn't really fight for women's reproductive rights, uh, but today, in today's context, women are demanding legal equality, equity, full freedoms, no more masks. My mother's mask couldn't hide her depression. My father wanted sons, and, of course, he paid the bills. My mother's third child was a boy, and so she was permitted to quit. I remember my father's paternalism extended to his female patients. He was a general practitioner. He considered abortionists to be the lowest form of life. He assumed that they were men who had been drummed out of their profession. Uh, that they had been forced to prey on women. Now, that may not have been an unreasonable assumption, assumption at the time. The uh, first half of the 20th century was a different different age. I recall my older sister having an abortion when she was a, a junior in college. Uh, it was a deep, dark secret. She is long since deceased. My father sent her to someone he knew. As I look back now, I understand that this event changed the direction of her entire life. It was a kind of fall from grace. Uh, she was protected, cared for, but no more college, no more charge accounts. Just a job my father found for her. Um, he put her in a medical records office. She continued to work there. Throughout her life, uh, she became a medical records librarian at a major hospital here in the East Bay. She then married a man old enough to be her father and died at the age of 44 from, well, mostly from complications due to um, alcohol. She never had any children. I'm rambling on here about my own family and about Eleanor Roosevelt. I'm just trying to connect some dots in the big picture, you see. Life choices are, what is the word, uh, bigger than momentous. Uh, they have what um, 
tragedians call magnitude. They are the big things in life. They are not women's issues. They are not minor uh, choices. Uh, it's not a single issue or a women's issue. It's just the linchpin in patriarchy. Up until now, we've had the baby and he's had the ball. If women have full reproductive rights, all this will change. It has changed, but the backlash is bitter indeed. Uh, <laughs> back in July of 1989, the Webster decision came down from the Supreme Court. Uh, that was a dissenting opinion. Here's a dissenting opinion of Justice Harry Blackman. He wrote, the handwriting is on the wall. The signs are evident and very ominous, and a chill wind blows. This decision, he writes, cast into darkness the hopes and visions of every woman. Now, that dissenting opinion on the Webster, Webster case in 1989 was an historic U-turn. That one threw reproductive rights back to the states, to the individual states. It created this chaos we see today. You know, where we have to drive from one state to another, where parental consent laws, all this tangled mess. Uh, I remember when the Webster decision came down, Bella Abzug appeared on the tube. She said, it's not the flag that's burning, it's the Constitution. How can the Supreme Court outlaw half the population? I remember in the 80s that uh, defeat of the Equal Rights Amendment should have sent women to the barricades. Way back then I thought, what the hell are we waiting for, the Fourth Reich? Hitler explains in Mein Kampf, quote, The right of personal freedom recedes before the duty to preserve the race, unquote. In 1933, the year I was born, feminists were removed from teaching posts. Um, oh, all public posts, yes. The women were removed by the same law that removed so-called non-Aryans from such jobs. That's the year when women were banned from the Reichstag. And the magazine ads for contraception, yes, outlaws pornographic, uh, Hitler padlocked those birth control clinics. It's so strange that people think of uh, the anti-abortion movement as a right-to-life movement. That was an incredible coup. These wordsmiths, uh, no wonder Noam Chomsky is a linguist. These days, I think I need to go study with Noam Chomsky because half the words I use no longer mean what they meant when I learned them as a young person. They've all been turned on their heads in, <laughs> in, in true Orwellian style. Now, back when I grew up in, oh golly, the 30s, 40s, and 50s, in my world then, a woman's place was in her imagination. Reality was out of the question. I was schooled or told to be objective, but I discovered that objectivity meant male subjectivity. At the age of four, I remember my father asking me 
why I was so affected. By what? I asked him. I did what any thinking woman did in the 1940s. I became an actress, literally in my case. I remember my first review in the San Francisco Chronicle in the early 1950s. They called me a, quote, natural actress. Now, if that isn't an oxymoron, I don't know what it is <laughs> as a child. I kept dressing up as a queen, well, or a dryad or a maynard. Uh, I liked dryad best. A dryad is a nymph whose life is bound up with that of her tree. I used to wear greenish gossamer costumes and hang in the trees behind the house. Once in a while, I'd carry off an elementary school boy, take him to my lair. My mother would then placate the little boy with bottles of Delaware punch. That was a soft drink we had in the old days. Fortunately, I had a pagan childhood. I was reading a wonderful book, uh, a novel that came out many years ago, Barbara Walker's new novel called Amazon. And I thought this is the perfect book to bring back now. It's a feminist fist in the air book. Uh, it's a social satire about a woman warrior, a time traveler from the pre-patriarchal past. She's called Antiope, A-N-T-I-O-P-E. This amazing Amazon comes to our world from the third millennium B.C. She once lived in a mother clan by the Black Sea. She is mentored by a feminist scholar named Diana. Together they visit various Wicca, or witches, wise women, uh, one of these is a Virago, a woman who reminds me of the archaeologist Maria Gambutas, whose work on the language and civilization of the goddess in old Europe before 4400 BC has caused her to become suspect in the orthodox world of patriarchal science. <laughs> Check out The Once and Future Goddess, a symbol for our time. That's a book by Maria Gambutas uh, from Harper and Row. Reading that novel, I thought of the ways in which a woman's so-called subculture is nourished and maintained. Medieval women did it in the cloisters. My mother did it in her kitchen with her friends. Today, in our time, women seem to want to do it in the streets and frighten not only the horses, but these hairy creatures called the sons of woman. In Amazon, the didactic Diana has a hell of a time explaining the meaning of the word bastard. <laughs> it's a word that makes no sense, of course, in a woman's culture. Uh, there is no such thing as a fatherless child. And Antiope has an even worse time trying to understand why it's okay to watch violence on TV, but it is taboo to pleasure oneself sexually where others can see. She's horrified when a casual male lover assumes he can just ejaculate inside her without taking time to give her any sexual pleasure. Her final confrontation with the modern male takes place when she falls for a religious fundamentalist. I see Sam Shepard in this part. <laughs> he goes bananas because, of course, in her worldview, she is the Antichrist. This book, Amazon, 
by Barbara Walker is really a lot of fun, especially for those of us who relate to uh, Amazons, yes, to all those years before I became a mom. I can even relate to the scholar Diana. Uh, she uses writing to express herself secondhand in a world which will not listen to her without the sanction of the male establishment. Yes, you have to be part of the, yes, part of the group. Women have been in the patriarchal closet for millennia. They have been taught to fear the state and behave like subversives in order to survive. It would be foolish to believe they will come out of the closet and take over the house in one generation. But let us hope. You never can tell. We just might make it this season. I'll be back on the air to review Domestic Crusaders Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, this has been Jennifer Stone. Go easy. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Light them up, boys. There's... Attention. To a collaborative effort between KP Face Flashpoints, La Onda Bajita, and New College, California, a summer radio series will air from Friday, June 24th through Friday, August the 12th. Both the Flashpoints Daily Investigative News Show and the 8 to 10 p.m. La Onda Bajita program focused on Latino and immigrant cultural and political issues will be broadcast with a live audience from New College, California's Creamery Performance Space located at 777 Valencia Street in the heart of San Francisco's Mission District. For further information, call 510-848-6767, extension 241.